0: We want to look at these 35 verses and then, of course, be able to draw out some, uh, I think, will be some helpful things for us today. But in the previous chapter, you remember that uh, we saw how that Israel faced defeat and as well as humiliation uh, before their enemies and in reality before their God because of uh, the sin of Achan. They were told that they were to take the city of AI, and actually they thought it would be quite easy. You remember, the spies had told them, well, you know, I'll just send a few thousand after them, and that should do the job. Uh, but of course, they did not realize that there had been sin in the camp, and thus all Israel, uh, through the sin of Achan, are punished by God, and they of course are defeated. and as we said, they're humiliated there before their enemies. And, of course, God does reveal to Joshua, uh, through the process that we saw in chapter 7, how that Achan then is finally taken. And we see his family's end as well there in chapter 7. Now we want to pick up chapter 8 this morning. And let me read the first two verses. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed take all the people of war with thee and arise go up to Ai and see or Ai see i have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land and thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof ye shall take for a prey unto yourselves lay thee in ambush for the city behind it In these two verses here, we see that Joshua is now encouraged in the way of the Lord. Remember, after the sin that Achan did, it was dealt with. And now that that has been dealt with by Joshua and the people, God is now ready to be their help. The sin of Achan did have its consequences. It has its consequences upon Achan himself. It had its consequences upon his family as well as to the whole nation of Israel. And so all of this now is obviously upon the mind of Joshua. He's probably grieving, and he may be even be a little discouraged about what has taken place. And so God comes here and very graciously encourages uh, Joshua in the way. Sin had uh, defiled, as it were, the nation of Israel. Uh, sin had, in a temporal way, uh, separated Uh, God's favor and his goodness from them and so joshua obviously must have felt that and so now though that sin has been Faithfully dealt with God comes and we see the language here. It's the language that he had said before Towards Joshua wasn't it? It wasn't just Joshua. Go take the city, but it's the same kind of words I will be with you. Don't fear be encouraged that uh, I am with you in these things. So, we see what happens when sin is faithfully dealt with. You know, we allow sin to fester. We allow sin to continue. Well, don't expect the blessings of God. And as well, you can also expect the chastisement of God. And not only necessarily upon yourself, but upon even your loved ones and even your church. And who then would want that? So, there are some good motivations to... Put away sin uh, among us. Also notice verse 2. He tells us here that the city, along with the king and the people, are to be given over to the nation of Israel. And as well, the spoils are to be theirs. Now, you remember in the city of Ai, they weren't to do that. Now, though, God says they can have them. And I'm not going to get into the reason of that. But this is just, again, whatever whatever you look at it, and however you may look at this, it is pure obedience at work here. The command of God says in one place, don't do it. They come into another situation, similar circumstances, and this time he says you can do it. What's the difference? Well, God's will made the difference. And so, brethren, we have to be happy and satisfied with that. And a lot of times we're so busy at apt to trying to figure out the why of when, you know, God just doesn't give us one. And The point is that's not whether you can figure it out or I can figure out the whys of all this. Our duty lies not in the figuring it out, but our duty lies in the obedience of this. And again, this is certainly a trial to the nation of Israel at this point. Will they obey? Will they take the spoils as they are told? Well, in verses 3 through 8 then, let's look at this. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor And sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but ye, but be ye all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass, when they come out against us, as at the first, that we will flee before them. For they will come out after us, till we have drawn them from the city, For they will say, they flee before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be, when ye have taken the city, that ye shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. See, I have commanded you now we see more specifics of the plan. You remember back in verse 2, he says there lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. And so Joshua's plan here is is to take the city, as God has said. And while uh, Joshua does give the plan out, as we see there from verses 3 down through verse 8, we really know that it's really the plan of the Lord. And when and where he was revealed all this is not, again, part of the text, so we can guess all we like on that. But the point of the matter is, this is the way that God wants the city to be taken. And here Joshua reinforces the command upon Israel to do what they're told there in verse eight. And there's to be no failure this time. But I want you to notice something very carefully in verses three through eight. Part of the plan includes now this is what let me back up and tell you what he's going to do, obviously we read that, but they're to take a few men, probably similar to the last time, two or three thousand men, and Joshua and his men are to go up to the city as if to take it again. And the rest of the nation of Israel, the fighting men, are to be hiding somewhere. So they only will be able to see those men who are advancing towards them with those few thousand. Well, what happened the last time when they tried that? Well, of course, they were taken and they were run off. Well, the city is going to think the same thing. Well, here they come again, and we're going to chase them out just like we did the last time. And when, of course, they leave, then the ambush is going to come and take care of the the city and the people. You see here, notice what has taken place. God used the defeat and the sinfulness of Israel previously to do what He's about ready to do now. Now, did this give the nation of Israel excuse in chapter 7 to be disobedient because God was going to use this in the next chapter? Absolutely not. But here we see that marvelous and gracious thing of God being able and the power of God, being able to take our sinfulness and the results of what sin brings and take it and make it out to be good in the very next chapter. And a lot of times he does that in our lives, doesn't he? This again is no encouragement to go out and sin and live loosely and then think, well, God's just going to straighten it all out anyway. Well, we saw what happened to Ai. He doesn't get a chance, or excuse me, with Achan. He doesn't get a chance to straighten it out, does he? He's put to death for his sins. So we cannot presume upon God that he's going to make it out good for us. But in this case, he does. And here again, the wisdom and the power and the justness of God in doing all of this. He's going to use the very thing that happened to them previously. They're running and being humiliated before their enemies as a means of now working havoc upon their enemies. So all the wisdom of God in all of this. And notice, notice verses 9 through 13. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people, even the people of of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about five thousand men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people... Even all the host that was on the north side of the city, even their liars in wait on the west side of the city, uh, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So we see here that Joshua now, by the command of God, begins to, as I would call it here, construct uh, the ambush. He gets things ready for the battle that's going to take place. And we see in verse 12, we see 5,000 men that are going to be involved in this particular part of the battle. And again, you remember, this is different than what God, the the spies, had told out, wasn't it? You know, they said, I'll just take a couple thousand and 3,000 and destroy the people. God is going to use, again, the whole tribe. It's true, He's going to use 5,000 to lure them out, but there's going to be the majority there is going to take them. So we see again Joshua getting this ready setting up. You notice here he didn't say, "Well, you know, God's going to take it. God is going to do this for us. So we're just going to kind of sit back and watch." Well, that's kind of what a lot of Christians do. They know the promises. They see the promises of God in the Bible, but they say, "Well, it's no use that I have to get involved. I mean, God's going to pre- he's got it all predestined anyway. So he's just going to work according to his will." Well, that he does. But He also has given us our responsibility and we're accountable to do what He tells us in His Word. Whether we, we want to apply all the Calvinism we like in regards to that, we still have to be obedient uh, to His Word. And then notice verses 14. This is going to be a long section, but we're going to read verses 14 through 19 in regards to what take place. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, "...that they hasted and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at a time appointed before the plain. But he wist not, or knew not, that there were liars." And when he says that, children, it doesn't mean people who tell lies, but it means people who are waiting. "...there were liars, and, and maybe that's the way I'm pronouncing it, in ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them, and fled by the way of the wilderness." And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I have, will give it into thy hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city, And the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as they had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city, and took it, and hasted, and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the pursuers." And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them so that there were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they smote them so that they let none of them remain or escape. And the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were twelve thousand, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai, and made an heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide, and as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remain unto this day. We see here in these verses they are to ambush uh, the inhabitants. And we see that the purpose of this was to make them think that as they had done previously, they're going to go out and take care of the nation of Israel. Uh, they thought they would have the upper hand But unfortunately they didn't know the will of the lord in this matter and So they go out against israel and we see here that joshua's plan which of course was the lord's plan was successful It was it did draw them out of the city. They were be able to be taken There were some men who of the nation of israel were to go into the city And then they were to take it and to burn it and that they did And then we notice in verse 23 that the king is taken but he's taken alive here of course, he's taken alive. And then we see in verses 25 through 26 that there are 12,000 that are defeated at this day or the day in which it took place. In verse 27, we see that the spoils are uh, taken according to the Lord's command. Remember back in earlier part of this chapter that they were not to let it go, but they were to take the spoils thereof, not as they did in Jericho. That belonged unto the Lord. But here they are to take it for themselves the spoils here and then in verse 29 we see that the king of ai meets his end he too then finally is put to death and of course there is a uh, this is a public demonstration as it were and we see that he's taken he's killed or put to death and then there is a heap of stones put upon him and there of course remain until he says here into the writing of this particular book and so all this took place according to the wisdom of of God now again sin had been taken care of God reveals what they're to do the children of Israel this time are obedient and what a difference we see now than what we saw previously previously it was defeat it was humiliation it was shame before the the nations they themselves became very fearful their heart gave way as we saw in chapter 7 their heart melted but now it's the other way and what made the difference? So he said, well, it was God. Absolutely. We would not take away from that at all. But they were being more faithful this time than they were the previous time. And then in verses 30 through 31, we said, that, see that the altar is built. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Eba, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man had lift up any iron, and they offered their own burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. So after the battle, after the defeat, and uh, the good uh, will of the Lord being done here, we see that now it's time to worship. And uh, they see, we see here an altar being built. And notice here again, they're in further obedience. Moses had commanded by God, obviously, back in Deuteronomy and also in the book of Exodus, that when you make this altar, that there's to be no uh, uh, tools put upon the stone. It wasn't to be the making of man's hands. It was to be those stones laid there, taken care of. And notice, and in this junction of time, they remember that. And they obey. So even amongst this great uh, defeat, and I'm sure there's joy going on, yet they do not forget the commands of the Lord. What a lesson to us. Sometimes we can let our emotions run away with us to where we're not being obedient. And we'll usually excuse, well, I'm being happy, I'm being joyous. I mean, look what God has done for us. Israel doesn't do that, do they? They remember the commands of the Lord, even in the midst of their joyous occasion. But brethren, that's a lesson for us. Don't let our emotions get carried away with disobedience. Which oftentimes it can happen. There is the temptation, even in joys, even in success. There's temptations, aren't there? How we need to be careful. And then in verses thirty two to thirty-five, we see excuse, yes, thirty-five, we see the law of God is recorded in stone. And he wrote it there upon the stones, a copy of the law of Moses which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and and officers and their judges stood on this side, the ark on that side, before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord as well as the stranger as he that was born among them. Half of them over against Mount uh, Gerizim and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law and the blessings and cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before the children of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were among conversant excuse me, among them. We see here the law of God is recorded here in stone. And then we see something very amazing, at least I think, is that in verses 34 and 35, we see the reading, not just of the Ten Commandments, but we see the reading of all the law. Which, of course, is to remind the nation of Israel that they were to be obedient to everything that God commands. They were to have an all-round obedience. Not just uh, things that were easier, things that necessarily was more fitting to nature, but all of the Word of God was to be Obeyed, And so we see that reminder here then before them. Also notice that all everyone was present. The men, the women, and the little ones, and even the strangers that were among them. No one was to be left out in hearing the Word of God. Here again is why we don't divide up, why we don't have children in church. This is just one of the reasons why. Because we feel that it is necessary that everyone hears the Word of God. That's very important. Even children need to be reminded of the standards of God. Well, let me close with a couple of things, three or four things here. First, again, as we've mentioned already, especially in last week, the importance of obedience. And we see this again all through chapter 8. We saw some disobedience in chapter 7 and the results. Now, though, we see the obedience of Joshua. We see the obedience to the nation or the whole nation to God. Even down to the point of worship, they were obedient. And so we can say here there is safety in obedience. It's true. It may cost us something in the world to be obedient to God. But it's safety in the Lord to be obedient. And we can also say there's chastisement in disobedience. Again, the whole nation suffered in the last chapter because of one individual. So it does make a difference. Secondly, we need to to have those constant reminders to heed the commands of God. Several times in this chapter, as well as other chapters, we see that God is very careful about telling them to uh, obey His word. And so, brethren, we're not ab- we're not above being exhorted to be obedient. We need that kind of thing, don't we? How easy it is to forget, even when we have the Bible right in front of us. How easy it is to forget what we're supposed to be doing. And so, there needs to be these constant reminders. We have the Lord's Table tonight, which is a reminder of what Christ has done for us in our salvation. Those elements show forth uh, His body and being broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. You think, who would forget that? Well, God knows our frame. We are but dust, and he certainly knows what we need. Those are the kind Peter, remember, he says, I want to put these things in your remembrance. You know them already, but I want to remind you and remind you and remind you this is necessary. This is the bulk of preaching, by the way, is to do this very thing. Put you in remembrance. The things you probably already know. But you have to be told again. I have to be told again. We all have to. We all have to have this remembrance uh, before the Lord. And then thirdly, we see something of the importance of the Word of God read and proclaimed. Now, Joshua was giving them commands of the Lord as the chapter progressed. You're to do this. You're not to do that. Make sure you ambush the city in the way that I'm telling you. But also at the very end in verses 34 and 35, we do see, again, that the whole Word of God or the law of God was being proclaimed there. Again, another reminder to see the importance of God's Word. And I know you know that. But again, I'm here to remind you of that very fact of the importance of God's Word. So you won't forget. You say, how could I forget that? Once again, God knows our frame. We're but dust. He knows that we're able to do so. And how easy it is to get in the middle of something and then suddenly remember what you should be doing in the midst of your trial. Happens a lot, doesn't it? Well, I forgot about that. Yeah, I should be doing that. Well, there again is that reminder to us. And then, fourth and lastly, sin needs to be dealt with by God's people privately and publicly. Privately and publicly. We disobey the Lord further when we do not. And so while it may seem mean to, uh, to the outsiders, and even those on the inside for that matter, it may seem mean when we have to administer church discipline, whether it's the full excommunication or it's from the pulpit, so-and-so do this, so-and-so do that, don't do this, don't do that or just the common everyday discipline of hearing the Word and being reminded, uh, checking our sins and these sorts of things, we further sin by not doing those things. So as harsh as it may seem to you, they're not to God. I'm sure it seemed very harsh to some to put Achan to death. But look what happened when they did. Look at the blessings that were produced in chapter 8 because of obedience to the very thing of putting sin away so brethren we need to realize god has in his word revealed how we should go about dealing with sin and we may have our own ideas and we may think our ideas are better but we cannot improve upon god's word and brethren we should expect further chastisement if we do not. And I recognize there's patience. I recognize we need to get all the facts. And to be ready with our case. But nonetheless when all that is done. It still should be performed. And again whether it be private. Or whether it be public. And when we do we can expect. Again not necessarily from the world. Or even from fellow church members. But we can expect from God. His favor and his blessings. in that, Because that's what he tells us to do. And another thing on this, we would do well to see the seriousness of this matter. What would it have cost Israel if they had not fulfilled God's will in chapter 8 and seeing that sin was dealt with? Well, we don't know because obviously they did. But from what we have seen in other instances of disobedience, God would have left them. And then they would have been a band of folks at prey, both of the animals of, that, of the land of Canaan as well as the cities and the nations of that Canaan. He would not have put the fear of God in those nations to fear them as he once did. So you see, there are consequences to disobedience. And though we may not get the hammer to drop on us right away, it will come. So we need to be very careful and take all this very seriously. And brethren... The serious way to deal with it is to flee to Christ and seek forgiveness in Him. No matter what we've done, God is gracious to forgive. Oh, we need to confess it and we need to turn from it. But again, God is very gracious because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He stands as our advocate to plead for us.